Pound the Rock. My name is Joseph Cacharo. I am in the Score Studios at the end of a very long NBA trade deadline day with co-host Joe Wolfon. Hey, hey, how's it going? Oh man, you're you're so tired. You don't even have a. I I forgot that I was supposed to do the greeting. I fatigue, I totally blank. Fatigue will do that to you. It's been a crazy long yeah. day. You're like fifty three minutes into a double overtime game right now. You've played all but five minutes, and and you're wearing down. But we're gonna get through this together, with with our loyal listeners. So let's just get right to it. An eventful deadline day, I, I'd say. An eventful deadline week. Definitely. Not necessarily a, um, how do I put it? It's not a predictable and not a standard deadline day. I don't think there were any clear-cut winners and losers other than the Pistons, who were by far the biggest loser of the day and of the week. Um, We broke down every trade as it happened in a post on the Score app. You just finished filing a piece about that very issue, the fact that I don't think there were any clear-cut winners and losers. So talk to us about that. Yeah, I mean, I just think... Coming into the deadline, we thought there might not be a lot of activity because the league is in this weird place right now where the low playoff seeds in both the East and the West are kind of up for grabs. So there are a bunch of teams that are sort of in that mix, not a ton of really clear sellers, you know, not a ton of teams that are motivated to move pieces off of their roster and they actively get worse. Um, just because like there are so many teams that are sort of in spitting distance of a playoff spot. And for the teams that are just like very much out of the race, either they were looking to trade with each other, like the Warriors and the Wolves, or they just didn't have a whole lot to offer. And like you saw that with the Pistons, even though they did end up offloading Drummond, they did it for just an absolutely pitiful return to the point that it was basically just a salary dump. And and the whole day, it's like you're seeing reports. <laughs> the Pistons are open for business. The Pistons are taking calls on all of their players, willing to trade anybody. And ultimately, at basically the 11th hour, they just offload Drummond just to get rid of him. And and so I think like that was part of it, right? There, there just were a lot of potential sellers and not really a lot of potential buyers. And you ended up in a situation where there wasn't really the supply to meet the demand. Um, the Wizards didn't help that by just being totally reluctant to move off of Davis Bertans. Um, you know, the Knicks, ultimately, they, they moved Marcus Morris, but nobody else. And um, Bradley Beal was off the market because of that extension he signed with the Wizards. So, like, these... I mean, even the Hawks, right? Like, the Hawks are a really bad team that in a normal year might be looking to sell, but they didn't really have a ton of veterans on that team that were movable. They end up being a buyer and taking advantage of the Rockets looking to get off Clint Capella, and they absorb Capella for a middling first-round pick, which I thought was a nice piece of business. But it's just a lot of trades that ultimately added up to I don't really know what. Like, do, like, what does the landscape of the league look like to you now? Has it changed at all? I, I don't know that it really has. No, I don't think it has. I think if one team, I guess, made the biggest splash, outside of the, the blockbuster Wiggins-Russell thing, but in terms of a team getting, like, markedly better, I think a lot of people are pointing to Miami. I don't think they got that much better. I think they got better. I do, but I don't think they got that much better. Yeah. I think, you know... Well, the, they traded three players who really hadn't been playing for them all year. Fair enough. And, and got three guys who right. can contribute. So. And that's what, I think they definitely got better. 
I'm not sure they got better by enough of a margin where I would now consider them, you know, even the second best team in the East by a clear-cut margin. They could be that. You know, I've been saying all year how grimy I think this team can be come playoff time, and you can argue they got a lot grimier, you know, in the last 24 hours. But that, to me, the Heat are kind of a good example of what we were talking about with no clear w- winners and losers. It's like, yeah, they got a little better and a little deeper, I guess, but at what cost? Like, I don't know. It, they gave up on Justice Winslow to bring in Andre Iguodala. Are we convinced that Andre Iguodala is better than Justice Winslow in the year 2020? Because I'm not. No, I don't think he is. And I think, really, they... It, <laughs> They must have just gotten tired of waiting for Winslow to get healthy. Like, he's had this mysterious back injury pretty much all season. Played 11 games. Was not particularly good in those 11 games either. And maybe they just felt like it wasn't worth it to wait. And, like, Iguodala was more of a sure thing, even though he's 36 and hasn't played in eight months. They also gave him an extra year and $15 million and potentially two years and $30 million. That, yeah. The 2021-2022 15 mil is a team option on Iguodala essentially right. if they get in the mix for Giannis or another big name free agent they They're will not, not right and if they strike out on those guys Iggy gets an extra 15 mil um yeah and then it's just another kind of weird trade um I do think it makes them a little bit better and I think when it first came out that they were getting Iggy and dishing out Winslow I really didn't like it for them I think the rest of the deal makes it look a lot better because, you know, James Johnson wasn't playing for them a lot. Waiters wasn't playing for them really at all. And in Crowder and Solomon Hill, they get guys who can help them. Like, those guys are pretty solid defenders. Um, Hill, at least, has been a reliable three-point shooter this year. Crowder is down at 29%, which, I mean, he's a 3 and D guy. Like, that is the definition of his role. He, he takes two-thirds of his shots from three-point range. So the fact that he's shooting 29% is a bit of a worrying sign. Um, especially, you know, looking now at this Heat team, like, are you going to be able to play Jimmy Butler, Jay Crowder, and Andre Iguodala together? You know, and Bam Adebayo? Like, like Jimmy Butler's three-point shooting has fallen off a cliff, and suddenly you're looking at a team that... This is... And it's not at all the same because the team is built completely differently, but it's similar to what happened with Philly last year, where... Their best defenders, they couldn't play them all together because they just wouldn't have any space at the offensive end. And the guys that they needed to space the floor for them could be targeted and exploited defensively. Like, that's where Miami is at, right? Like, they need Duncan Robinson to be out there in order to space the floor. They need Hero and Dragic and Kendrick Nunn. And those guys are... Like, Hero's okay, actually, but, like, the rest of those guys are not very good defenders. And... It's just, it leaves them in this position where they're kind of liable to get exploited at one end of the floor or the other in a playoff series, and that is what would worry me a bit. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, We'll get to the West in a bit and a couple of the big moves that went down there, but since we were just talking about the Heat, I'll keep it in the East and pivot to who I said are the only clear-cut losers of the day and of the week, and that has to be the Detroit Pistons. This was an absolute gong show of a move by the Pistons. It was an embarrassing display of asset management, okay? Look, I get that Andre Drummond's trade value is clearly minimal. Um, I understand that, you know, his rebounding numbers to a casual fan kind of, not kind of, very much inflates his actual on-court impact. He's a very underdeveloped offensive player. There are flaws in his game, and, you know, sure, you don't want to be stuck paying him $28.8 million next season if he picks up that option. But given what 
the return was, okay? Brandon Knight, John Henson, and a 2023rd second round, 2023 second round pick. If that is the best you can get for a guy that at one time was, you know, your franchise big man, just bite the bullet, keep him, run the risk of him picking up his option. First of all, if he left for nothing, say he didn't pick up his option, he left for nothing, guess what? You it's all no need, different. It's no different than getting nothing for him. So that's not an argument against this deal. Um, if he picks up the option, then you're paying him a lot of money next season, but then he's a huge expiring contract in a year next season when teams are going to want those kind of contracts ahead of the 2021 summer bonanza when all these guys are free agents and there's going to be a lot of cap space out there. So Andre Drummond, had he picked up that option, even if he wasn't worth the money, would have been a much better trade chip next season. And if he didn't pick the option up, you're losing him for nothing, which you essentially did anyway, except you did it in a really embarrassing way. <laughs> like, it, it's just, it's embarrassing. If I was a Pistons fan, I'd be furious. Like, yeah. what was the point of doing this? What What are the Detroit Pistons going to do with the money they have saved from letting Andre Drummond go? I think ideally maxing out Fred Van Vliet. You know, like signing DeMar DeRozan, something so, like that. So reuniting a, a Raptor with Dwayne Casey, essentially. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think actually, like DeRozan, I don't think would be a very good fit there at all, but... I actually think Van Vliet would be a really good fit there um, to the extent that you can even have a good fit there because what is that team even at this point? Like, It's impossible to know without knowing what Blake Griffin's going to look like next year, but they've they've needed a point guard you know, since time. It's like I think that would be a, if they could actually get Van Vliet in the offseason, that'd be a good pickup for them. But um, I, I want to go back to your point about what that contract could have done for them next year. Like if... I'm just imagining there being a team, and I haven't thought this through to the extent that I can actually pick one and decide what the contracts would be, but imagine a team that is sort of in the mix where they're a competitive team and they feel like maybe even they can make some noise in the playoffs, but also they want to get in on this free agent bonanza in 2021. Imagine being able to send out like a couple longer-term contracts that are extending past 2021 in exchange for Drummond, who is a guy who can essentially help you in the immediate, but also help you clear out that space for 2021, like I feel like they probably could have gotten a first if they'd waited until next year, um, as opposed to like you said, a 2023 second rounder that I think is even like the lesser of two different second rounders. So it's not like it's a joke of an asset. Like it's it's basically nothing. Now on the flip side of that, the Cavs did not trade or buy out Tristan Thompson, and they did not trade Kevin Love. So they now have Kevin Love. I want them to play them all together. Play them all. Yeah, maximum Play chaos. Larry Nance at the two. But they, they now have Kevin Love, Tristan Thompson, Andre Drummond, and, and you throw Larry Nance in there too, all on the same team. And I understand that really for the rest of this season, it doesn't matter. They're a lottery-bound team. This season kind of means nothing to them. But if Drummond picks up that option... Next year, the amount of money they'll be paying him and Kevin Love. I mean, to be honest, in in theory, that's not even a bad fit, right? Like a Love Drummond front court, you're probably going to get roasted defensively. That's not a bad fit, but I I think it's going to be interesting to see how that front court develops in the final 30 games of the season, even though wins and losses don't necessarily matter to the Cavs. 
And the one thing I will say is, you know, as strange as it is that the Cavs got in on this, given what they gave up, there is absolutely no risk here. Again, like I mentioned, if Drummond picks up the option, then it's the Cavs who now have a really interesting trade chip next season. And if he doesn't, you know, so what? You didn't give up anything for him. And this is what I wrote in our kind of breaking down every deal. It's like the way to summarize this deal from the Cavs perspective is it's better than nothing. And I understand that's a very low bar, but... Teams like the Pistons can't even clear that bar. Yeah. So, A for effort, Cavs. Are you... I mean, I'm kind of surprised that they couldn't find a trade partner for Tristan Thompson. Aren't you? Like, just given the the number of teams that are sort of lacking in, Boston. in size up front. Boston, the Clippers. The Clippers, yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, the Clippers, their big sort of movable salary was Mo Harkless, and they used that to get Marcus Morris. So, I don't know what other salary they could have cobbled together to make that work, but... Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I'm a little surprised they couldn't find a deal for Tristan. And uh, then the announcement came down that they weren't going to buy him out either, that he was going to play out the rest of the season in that jumbo front court with Andre Drummond and then enter free agency. So uh, we'll see what happens there. But I think, you know, for for those teams, like for Boston, for the Clippers, for Houston, uh, that's kind of a big deal. Like if he had hit the buyout market, there would have been... Um, like a feeding frenzy, you know, trying to trying to sign him, and I don't know where he would have gone ultimately, but I think that could have made a difference in the playoffs. Yeah, the Rockets need a center. I understand that they're going all in on like a five out on the offensive end, switch everything on the defensive yeah. end, small ball lineup with you know the Tuck Wagon lineup with six five six six PJ Tucker, whatever the hell he is at center. I get that. That's you know that's D'Antoni Ball at its finest, I guess, and they really are going all in on it. And why not? They might. Him and Daryl Morey might both be fired by the summer. So go for it. But having said that, you you can go all in on that and still need a center like on your bench. Because you're probably going to run into at least one of Anthony Davis, Rudy Gobert, Nikola Jokic in the playoffs. You can't, you can't play small with a guy like Tucker at center for 48 minutes. Against Rudy, Rudy Gobert, I think you 100% can. You can, sure. But against Jokic or Anthony Davis? No. No. Um... Gonna have to probably get by those teams in the playoffs. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Should we talk about that trade? That, that crazy four-teamer. Sure. I I um, wrote a big thing about it the night it went down. Um, I mean, we, all right. So let's start with the Rockets, right? Like they they literally don't have a center. Like they don't. They have Tyson Chandler, I guess, who they're not going to play. They have Isaiah Hartenstein, who barely plays and is not really going to factor into their playoff rotation. I don't think. It's pretty much small ball all the time and I mean I'm pissed about this because I had literally just come off a rant about how Chris Stapps Porzingis is no different than Miles Turner oh man my, and my take on that is looking great by the literally way literally hours later the Rockets make a fool out of me by playing a whole game with no players taller than six foot five and Porzingis goes off for 35 and 12 okay. and, and and I think um the Rockets won that game so it, it's not necessarily an example of the drawbacks of that approach, but I do think, uh, you know, against a team like the Lakers, against a team like the Nuggets, I, I just don't see how they can roll with that lineup for 48 minutes and expect to get by and win. No, I, I completely agree with you. I think it's pretty disappointing if you're a Rockets fan that Tillman Fertitta is clearly very interested in dodging the luxury tax, despite the fact that 
the roster is otherwise all in and they you know they're in win now mode but they're also trying to duck the luxury tax that's usually a recipe for disaster when you're trying to straddle that line instead of just picking one side uh the porzingis thing real quick side note again i recommend all our pound the rock listeners to go check what chris steps porzingis has done this season with luka Doncic not in the lineup it's been pretty insane um the last thing i'm going to mention about the rockets trade and i wrote this in the piece i wrote tuesday night in turning chris paul and clint capella into russell westbrook and robert covington which i don't even think you can yeah. Are you going to mention the draft picks? Yeah, or? in in turning Chris Paul and Clint Capella into Russell Westbrook and Robert Covington, the Houston Rockets gave up a 2020, 2021, 2024, 2025, and 2026 first-round pick. If you're giving up that many first-round picks, you better be damn sure you're getting Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, okay, like the Clippers. Like, like that's the kind of talent upgrade you mortgage your future for. I'm not even sure there is a talent upgrade going from Paul and Compella to Westbrook and Covington. And if there is, it's minimal. It's marginal. It's sure as hell not worth mortgaging the future that the Rockets mortgage to do it. I, and I, I'm interested to see how it changes their offense. I mean, obviously, we've seen them play that five-out style before, but Capella has still been a pretty big staple of their offense as a whole. His ability as a as a dive man, or even just as a guy who's lurking in the dunker spot as a lob threat, like when Harden's driving, you need. I mean, do you need? Maybe you don't, but like, it's certainly nice to have a guy with some roll gravity and like provide some vertical spacing, like suck in some defenders from the wing. Like they're they're just gonna do away with that. Like, are they gonna just do away with pick and roll altogether and just go five out and let Harden ISO? all day every day you know him and Westbrook essentially taking turns running ISO and like with a spaced floor it's it's an interesting experiment I'll say that um but I I just don't know like can you do it without like a a screen and dive guy like Capella he's just it's I don't know it's hard to envision it right now um like not uh, you know on an individual game basis because again we've seen it happen like we've seen them do it before but like just in the long run and like how beat up is PJ Tucker going to be like the guy is he's going on 35 I'm pretty sure he posted that meme of him on stilts <laughs> yeah. which was pretty incredible um, to make fun of the fact that he's going to be undersized in in every uh matchup someone else put up a good meme too where it was like that that kid in high school standing beside Taco Fall being like this is what PJ Tucker's going to look like every night now trying to match up with centers yeah. all right let me ask you a somewhat troll question over and under 0% the Rockets can win a championship with this lineup. Um, Essentially, I'm asking you, is it possible at all? No, I don't think so. Agreed. Um, and, and it's not just... Like, I've seen people making the point that basically the Rockets are going all in on this idea that post-ups are inefficient. If you're going to try and take advantage of a size mismatch by going into the post, power to you, good luck. And, okay, that's one way to look at it. I would say, for one thing, Nikola Jokic is one of the best post players in the league. Like, he will feast on that mismatch all day. But even absent that, like, let's say that's true. Let's say you're just banking on post-ups not being efficient. And, like, if a team wants to run 100 post-ups, like, be my guest. Like, that's only part of it, right? Like, you got to have some measure of rim protection, like, to protect against guys who are driving to the basket. Like, it's not just about encouraging post-ups it's also like 
yeah, okay, you can switch every screen and hope that that essentially vaporizes any advantage that the offense might have, but it's not really going to work out that way. There are going to be seams. Guys are going to find gaps. And if you don't have anybody taller than six foot five on the floor, then guys aren't really going to have a lot of trouble scoring at the rim. And that is what would concern me more. Like, what, like what would they do against the Bucks with with Giannis just like rampaging toward the rim? I, I well, the good news for the Rockets is they don't have to worry about that because they got no chance of playing an Eastern Conference team in the playoffs. They're not getting through the West. Yeah. Um, I mean, we'll see. Maybe they can they can grab a guy on the buyout market that makes a difference. They for better. Them. I think that's got to be part of the plan. They need to. Um, and I think, you know, if they can do that, like there there were reports that they wanted to get a center, right? I think they just saw it as our quote-unquote center, you know, the traditional big man is going to be a situational player. And it doesn't make sense for us to be paying $17 million to Clint Capella to be a situational player. Like we can find a guy like that who may be 80% as good for a fraction of the price. And guys like that are basically a dime a dozen in the league. And so like if we have a chance to get Robert Covington, a much rarer commodity, um, a legit 3 and D guy who can space the floor and is an excellent help defender, a very solid one-on-one defender, um, and kind of... Uh, build our team that way where that's where we're alloc- allocating our resources um that makes some sense to me but they just act- they have to find that center uh they haven't done it yet um and we'll see if they do i thought after tuesday night's big trade that the rockets were a low-key drum and destination i thought given the way his market was reportedly evaporating and the fact that the rockets now needed a big man they they would maybe sneak in and get Drummond, and I would have liked that. Uh, I think that would have made a lot of sense for them. Given what we now know it took to get Andre Drummond, which <laughs> essentially at one point in the day, after we finished our delicious bowls of food, I turned to you and told you that the half-finished bowl with some salmon skin in it that you had on your desk was probably worth more than what the Pistons got for Andre Drummond. Salmon skin is disgusting. I will never eat that shit. Well, you know what? I honestly kind of want to say the same thing about the package the the Pistons got for Andre Drummond. So knowing that, why couldn't the Rockets? Like, did they just not realize they could have swooped in? And maybe did they not want Drummond? When I see the return, and I don't want to keep going back to the Pistons being losers and what they got for Drummond, but when I see the return that it took to get Drummond, why couldn't a team like the Rockets cobble together some half-empty bowl of salmon skin and and get Andre Drummond? It doesn't really make much sense, other well, than they just didn't want him. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it. I don't think they wanted him. Given, um, yeah, if Tillman Fertitta's like not think, trying to pay the tax. Think about it. They would have been trading Capella, right? And even that wouldn't have got them there. They would have needed like another $8 million in salary. And obviously, they preferred to use Capella to get them Covington. Like, that was the guy that they valued more. And I would bet, like, if you ask them, they they much prefer Covington as a player to Drummond. Like, Drummond is just not a player type that they value. And you can argue over whether that's a good or a bad thing. Um, I would just say, I think it's interesting when you have teams that are willing to try stuff and sort of push the envelope. And I don't think this is going to work. I don't think they can win a title playing this way, but I'm interested to see what it looks like. And I will say, you know, you mentioned Gobert. In a matchup against the Jazz, like, they could absolutely win that series just playing Tucker or 
you know, I don't know, Daniel House, somebody else that size at center for 48 minutes a game. Like, they've done it before. And um, and the fact of the matter is, like, Capella was not really helpful for them in the playoffs last year at all. And I'm sure that factored into this as well. I don't think they're getting out of the first round. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened either. But I, I wasn't feeling great about them getting out of the first round even when they had Capella. So at Fair least enough. this is an attempt to spark something and see how far they can take it and like i said you know in all seriousness i wasn't even joking around if you're mike d'antoni and daryl morey right now given like all we've heard from tillman fertita i would assume both those guys are probably on their last legs there and so if you're gonna go down go down the way you want to go down and if that's going all in on the style of play that you believe in then then go with your vision one team that i uh I'm pretty confident we'll get out of the first round in the Western Conference, is the Los Angeles Clippers. You picked them to win the championship. You wrote about their move today to get Marcus Morris. My question for you is this. Do you believe Marcus Morris is enough of an upgrade over Mo, Mo Harkles? To, I, Har- Harkles? No Harkles. Why, do I, why no, does it keep coming the, out as Harkles every time I say Mo On this Harkles? podcast, it is Mo Harkles forever. Yeah. Do you believe... Marcus Morris is enough of an upgrade to justify giving up some picks for him. Um, I think for the Clippers in their position right now, yeah, I do, but it's not like a slam dunk in my opinion. I think Morris is pretty good. He's obviously shooting the lights out this season, like 44% from three on over six attempts per game. So that's hard to argue with. And I think... You know, the things that I don't like about him as a player are he's a bit of a black hole and I don't think he makes the best decisions with the basketball in his hands. If they can essentially just weaponize him as like a spot up guy and a guy who maybe in a pinch can like put the ball on the floor, but is not like you're not relying on him to run offense at any point in time and he's amenable to that, then I do think it's a nice pickup. I don't think he's as good a defender as Harkless is. I think Harkless is really underrated for what it's worth. Like, I don't think this is a huge upgrade here by any means, but like... I think, you know, for one thing, Harkless is only playing 23 minutes a game. I feel like Morris will play more than that because he can provide them a lot more spacing. Um, And just like, you know, when it comes to their offensive skill sets and specifically the three-point shooting, it's really not close. So Morris can play more minutes, you know, at the four spot, and that's taking minutes away from Patrick Patterson, who's been fine, but like he's not especially good. Um, Jamichael Green hasn't been particularly good this season either so um even just that fact of like being able to have Morris out there on the floor for longer I think uh, you know makes it a nice upgrade and and while I don't think Morris is as good a defender as Harkless he's not a bad defender by any means like he's physical he can guard threes or fours um and so I, I do think it's a nice pickup for them do I think it's an overpay I do but I think it's a justifiable overpay given how close the Clippers are to you know in my mind at least winning a title this season like they're all in and like a lot of people have pointed out they kept that 2020 first round draft pick for exactly this reason um it's the last one that they could have traded until 2028 and they knew that they needed to have that in their back pocket to make an in-season upgrade and i'm not positive that morris is the guy that you know they should have targeted with that pick but um but I, I do think it's an upgrade, and given that, you know, this is a contending team, like, upgrades are what you need, you know, when you're looking at midseason trades, and 
they're obviously focused on the here and now and not the future. So Yeah, and don't sleep on the fact also when you're evaluating this trade that they kept him away from the Lakers, which, you know, I think we can say pretty confidently went into this. They Both LA teams were gunning for him, and the Clippers got him. And, you know, I didn't really have to give up that much to get him. I, I don't know if Marcus Morris is as good as... There's a lot of players like this, and you can almost say the same for Covington, even though I did like Covington a lot more before his knee injury. But in general, I think there's a lot of players like this, the Marcus Morris types, the Robert Covington types, that are valued pretty appropriately 95% of the year, except around things like the trade deadline, where people start thinking they can like swing the title race during that. And it's like, no, he's like a fine player. The Clippers, you know, got a little better today. And I guess when you're talking about playoff margins, that does matter. But... I don't think Marcus Morris is as good as, you know, the people that thought he could swing something here at the deadline. But yeah. I do think keeping him away from the Lakers is worth something, especially when you're the Clippers. I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's We were talking about this, right? Because we were, for some amount of time, trying to decide whether we we're going to write a winners and losers column, and we couldn't really come up with, like, clear-cut winners and losers, which is why we didn't end up writing it. And... You know, part of the reason was you're saying like, okay, are the Lakers losers because they missed out on Morris and watched him go to like their their biggest competitor in the Western Conference? Given what was reported about what the Knicks were asking for from the Lakers in this deal, I think it's a good thing that they didn't trade for Marcus Morris. Like, there was talk of putting Danny Green in the deal, even putting Kuzma in the deal. I think would have been a big mistake for them um, for a rental that, like, how much of an upgrade over Kuzma is Marcus Morris? Like Not a much. marginal one. I, a better just, defender, yeah, tougher. And, I guess and, and you know maybe season, more made season, for April, May, and June. Right. But and this season he's been a better three point shooter, right. undoubtedly. Um, but I just I don't know. I just think he's a little bit overrated. And agreed. And and I think he helps the Clippers. I think he would have helped the Lakers. But I don't think that they necessarily lost out by not trading what the Knicks were asking for in order to get him. And um, and the fact of the matter is, the Clippers just had the assets to trade that the Lakers didn't, right? Like, the Lakers didn't have that mid-level salary, really, to go out in a deal like that. And they didn't have the first-round pick to throw out in a deal like that either. So that's what swung this thing in the Clippers' favor. But I don't necessarily think the Lakers should be losing sleep over it. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out The Score's other sports podcasts, for Major League Baseball, there's Expand the Zone. For soccer, we've got Sweeper Keeper. Puck Pursuit has you covered for the NHL. The Scores MMA podcast with James Lynch gives you your mixed martial arts fix. And the Fantasy Football podcast with Justin Boone covers, you guessed it, fantasy football. And in case you haven't already, download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. Now back to the show couple guys that might be losing some sleep because they're in for big moves. D'Angelo Russell, Andrew Wiggins. Now, D'Angelo Russell's going on his fourth team, so maybe he won't be losing that much sleep. And he's going somewhere where I think he wants to be because he gets to play with Cat, Carl Anthony Towns, who is seemingly his best friend in the league. But for Andrew Wiggins, you know, yeah, sure, he was part of a deal as a rookie before he had ever played a game. But really, this Minnesota's the only home he's ever known as a professional athlete. And the Timberwolves finally cut bait with him to bring in a guy that, quite frankly, they've been thirsting over since he was a free agent in the summer, and that's D'Angelo Russell. Even if you look at their social media feeds shortly after the deal went down, like they put out, a, it was funny, they put out a, 
a video on Twitter, I don't know if you saw it, of all the Timberwolves fans that had been asking them to trade for D'Lo like, since the summer. And they kind of made uh, like a rapid-fire cut of that. They, they had a bunch of D'Lo stuff ready to go, and I understand, obviously, that's what you do. You know, in the modern era, you, you get the social media team going on it. But the, the speed at which they got that stuff up and even including stuff about fans wanting them to trade for him, like since the summer, they included, uh, I think that, that like, I don't know if it was a fake slam cover of Cat and Russell, both in Timberwolves jerseys, like, um, and they tweeted it, like, sp- spoke it into existence or something. They, they just, they put things on social media that teams usually wouldn't do, hinting that they've been trying to do this for a while, and... You know, I'm sure there'll be thanks for Wiggins. and It just seemed very strange that in the immediate aftermath, it was very much like, all right, Wiggins is gone. Like, it's all about this guy who we've wanted all along. I just thought that was rare, and I think it does speak to how much they thirsted over him and probably how much Carl Anthony Towns has thirsted for D'Angelo Russell to be his teammate. Yeah, I mean, it was, like, getting borderline embarrassing the extent to which they were just, like, pulling out all the stops to try and sign Russell. And, I mean... I don't know. Where are you on this trade? Like, this is another weird one where I'm like, I don't know. I don't particularly like it for either side somehow, but there are parts of it that I do like for both sides. It's just really weird. And like, you know, I was talking off the top about how, okay, these are two bottom feeding teams. Normally, like you would see those teams essentially selling off parts to contending teams while taking future assets back. And instead, like, these teams are dealing with each other and making this, like, really weird and interesting trade that could theoretically work out for both sides. But I don't know. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around it. What do you think? I like it a lot better for the Timberwolves. I mean, I shouldn't say a lot better. I like it a little better for the Timberwolves than I do for the Warriors. You know, as much flack as I've given Carl Anthony Towns this season, as much as I think he deserves... um, you know, for the losing streak the Timberwolves are on, for the mess they find themselves in. Not all his fault, but at some point he has to take some blame for that. All that said, he is their franchise player. He is an otherworldly offensive talent. And if you're Minnesota in that small market where they get basically nobody out to games and fan interest is waning and they've made the playoffs about once in the last 15 years, you cannot afford to lose Carl Anthony Towns, have him want out, have him unhappy, which he clearly is right now given all the losing. So bringing in D'Angelo Russell, who is you know, his best friend in the league and who should keep him happy, that in itself is a small victory for the Timberwolves. Um, on the court, I think he's a better fit than Andrew Wiggins was. D'Angelo Russell's just a better player overall, definitely a better offensive player. He's a pick-and-roll maestro. If you look at some, some of the advanced metrics, I think him and Towns can work really well together. I think the two of them together, you know, under contract both through at least 2023, they can form a type of synergy where Minnesota should have a very, very good offense for years to come if it's, you know, managed correctly. I also think D'Angelo Russell, given that more than half of his attempts have been from three-point territory this year, fits with the contemporary way uh, Gerson Rosas, their general manager, and um, Ryan Saunders wants them to play. Do I think... That was worth giving up a very, very lightly protected first-round pick that, you know, could be the number four pick next year. But it's a 2021 top three protected pick. And then it's unprotected in 2022, I believe, if it doesn't convey in 2021. 
The Wolves, even with Towns and Russell, are nowhere near contention. They're still a bad team, as presently constructed. There's pressure on them to get competitive pretty damn quickly. Because if they're really bad next year, they could be giving up like a 4, 5, 6 pick to Golden State. If they're still bad two years from now, they're giving up another pick. Or like they'll give up a pick. So, something's got to give here. I, I like the move. I understand what they were doing. But... The pressure on them is immediate. Not this year, but by next October, they better have this thing sorted out. And Carl Anthony Towns better start playing some damn defense because that guy isn't trying a rat's ass this year and then has the audacity to come out, you know, after the 13th straight loss and say something along the lines of, you know, like every possession means something. It's like, no, it doesn't. Don't tell me every possession means something to you when you haven't won a damn game since November. That's insane. That um, is insane. He hasn't won a damn game <laughs> since November, and he's not trying on defense whatsoever, and then tells us that every possession means something to him. Do you really think it's that he's not trying at all on 100%. defense? Or like, does he- 100%. I think that he probably has physical limitations yeah. that limit him from being an all-world defender, which I'm not expecting of him. But we saw him make strides. I don't think it's physical. It shouldn't be physical. Like well, why you, you have a guy that size who can move like that. Like why would it be why would there be any physical limitations to what he can do defensively? All I know is we saw him make strides. Jokic is a better defender than 100%. him. 100%. So, we saw him make strides on that end of the court last season and it looked pretty damn clear that it was an effort related thing. Mm-hmm. And this year he is taking possession. He's taking games off on the defensive end. And then he'll throw down a dunk that cuts his team's deficit to like 9 when they haven't won in 2 months and he's flexing. What are you doing? <laughs> So I take it you're down on Carl Anthony Carl Towns. Carl Anthony Towns is in, and Tillman Fertitta are right now neck and neck for my second half of the year clown of the season. <laughs> Let's are, get back to tra- are you about to talk. Are you about to drop the F word? That's what I want to know. Oh, fraud? <laughs> it's an exclusive club, man. I'm dangerously close. Dangerously close to calling Carl Anthony Towns a fraud, but I'm not there yet. I want to see what it looks like with D'Angelo Russell. Um... Yeah, I mean, my guess as to what it's going to look like, I think it will improve them offensively, probably considerably. They just, like, like Towns has not played with a pick-and-roll point guard like Russell ever. And, you know, Russell, for all his limitations, is, I think, a really good passer. Um, he is a really good pull-up shooter as well. Uh, and... Um, he's gotten a lot better about getting to the basket and getting to the free throw line. He's made himself into a more efficient scorer. He's still basically a league average true shooting, but um, you know, given that he was able to do that as basically the lone high volume scorer in Golden State, uh, and and to be able to do that without really sacrificing any efficiency when you know defenses essentially don't have to pay too much attention to anybody else, I think bodes pretty well for what he can do at the offensive end. And he's still only 23, right? Um, there is time. Also, something I learned in looking up this trade, because I wanted to see how much younger he was than Andrew Wiggins, he's exactly one year younger oh, than Andrew Wiggins. Same they, birthday. They share a birthday. That's very interesting. February 23rd. Um, so, yeah, I, I think offensively it can definitely work. Um, and I'm curious, as to, like... That other trade is still somewhat interesting to me. The one that, you know, they send out Covington and they get back Malik Beasley and a first-round pick. Um, I, I, I kind of like Beasley's game. He hasn't had a great season. He's regressed this season. Yeah, but I, I wonder how much of that has to do with just opportunity and the fact that, like, he's never really able to get into a rhythm in a rotation that is just very crowded on the wing. And 
Uh, I think he's going to have all kinds of opportunity in Minnesota, and I'm I'm interested to see what happens with his contract in the off season. Like, maybe he's a piece for them long term. I just think <sighs> with Russell and Towns defensively, it's going to be really tough to craft uh, an even average defense. Like at any point in their whether Russell's there for the life of his four year contract or not, I, I would be surprised if during any of those seasons they had a better than league average defense, unless they add like an absolute stalwart or two um, around those guys because just putting them in pick and roll is like going to be such an easy way to manufacture offense, I think. And, and that is obviously a huge concern. And that is where the sort of drawbacks come in where like, I'm looking towards next season and you said it, like, are, are they going to be in the playoffs? Probably not. How high is that pick going to be? Like I could see it being a top 10 pick and you know, on, on one hand, like they're also going to add, maybe like a top five pick this year. So maybe that's a guy that can help them. I don't think it's going to be somebody who's going to help them right away though. And, you know, so there are major downsides to this. And I, I, um, I, I look, you know, at the other side of it and the, the warriors, I don't know, man. I, it just, it, well, you, it's not, it's, it, to me, it's not on its face, such a bad deal for them because I'm not, you know, really as high on D'Angelo, I guess, as a lot of people are. It just feels like the opportunity cost maybe is what's gnawing at me because it just seemed like they would be able to get more for Russell. Like there was talk about how they ultimately wanted to parlay that into like a fourth superstar when Clay and Steph are ready to come back. And I don't think that's going to happen with Wiggins. Like his, we, we've talked like, the last couple of years about how he on that max contract is essentially a negative value asset. And unless they can really find a way to unlock him. And I've always said, like I've always said, I believe that Andrew Wiggins can be a really valuable role player. If he's just willing to be a role player, stop messing around, like dribbling the ball for 10 seconds, like trying to break down a defense when you're not really going to be able to do it. I know he's taken strides as a driver, as a playmaker this season. He's, you know, kind of trimmed the fat out of his shot profile and become a, a more efficient and generally just a better player. But, you know, playing in that system in Golden State, like he's going to have to do a lot of stuff off of the ball, screen and cut and like play off of Curry and Clay. And like if he can do that and and not be the guy who's dithering with the basketball in his hands, then I do think that it can work. Well, okay, so you mentioned the the defensive issues, right, with a Towns-Russell uh, Towns, um, pairing. Fair, and I agree with you. The thing is, those same issues would have existed in a Towns-Wiggins pairing, right? Because Andrew Wiggins, despite his athletic gifts, is a very bad defender. You know, At best, he's an average defender on a good mm. night. And he was looking like that for the first quarter-ish of this season, and he's back to being a bad defender. And on a team with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, when they eventually get back in the court, and even with Draymond Green, who we know can run an offense and you know plays four-on-three out of the pick-and-roll, Andrew Wiggins or anyone else making that much money on that Warriors team with Steph, Clay, and Draymond around needs to provide off-ball value, needs to play defense, and needs to be able to shoot. Andrew Wiggins does neither of those three things. He's a career 33% three-point shooter. He accomplishes nothing and covers almost zero ground off the ball. And he's an inconsistent and inattentive defender. So I just don't understand how they're going to get, forget even getting like the value of his contract, because you're not getting that out of right. Andrew Wiggins. We know that. How are they even getting surplus value out of him, period, on the court when, unless he becomes a drastically different player, 
which I guess isn't inconceivable. It's happened with other guys in their careers. And, you know, being in that organization with those stars, Steve Kerr, it's possible. But I just think it's very unlikely. And as I was saying to you off air today, when you look at this in totality and the fact that, you know, they they traded Andre Iguodala and a first-round pick to get Russell. And at the time, it was like, well, maybe they'll keep him around if it gels and works with the other guys. And if not, they can parlay him to something bigger, as you were talking about. This is not parlaying him into something bigger. This, to me, is downgrading, taking on a worse contract. And you did it without even really seeing how he fits with Steph Curry and or Klay Thompson. Yeah. So I just don't understand the pattern here for, for the Warriors. He wouldn't have fit with those guys, let's be real. Like, I, this is what I said as soon as it happened. It just, he could have fit with them offensively, but because they're, I, I won't even use the word redundancies, but there are just diminishing returns for, um, for you know, an offense-oriented player like that when he's playing with a guy like Steph Curry, with Klay Thompson, like, I, his value offensively would have been blunted, I think, by by playing with Steph to the point that I don't think the offense-defense trade-off would have been worth it for them because a backcourt with Steph and D'Angelo, I mean, we saw it the first few games of the season before Steph got hurt. They were by far the worst defense in the league. They could not hang with those two guys on the floor together. And, and I think, if nothing else, Wiggins does profile as like a better fit there. I just think there are so many different ways they could have gone. Like, it's not, again, like the trade itself in a vacuum, it's, I, I don't think it's so egregious. It's, and I don't know what else is on the table, so I can't really say. But like, at the start of the season when we were talking about, you know, trade possibility, I was thinking about like Aaron Gordon, who I thought would have been a way better fit there. You know, even Robert Covington, like if they wanted to trade with the Wolves, why weren't they interested in Covington? I don't understand. Like, I think he would have been a great fit there. I, like Covington, I, when I was just talking about a guy who works well off ball, a guy who can shoot, and a guy who defends well, literally covers all three of those bases, whereas with Andrew Wiggins, who makes like double the money, covers zero of those bases. Absolutely, Covington would have fit there. Yeah, so that that's just what's a little bit baffling to me, is this is the, dire- the direction they decided to go. But I mean, if you do take it sort of in totality, and you say, all right, if you could ask them at the end of last season, it, you can trade... Andre Iguodala, you know, 35-year-old Andre Iguodala with the one year left on his deal, plus the 2024 first-rounder that they gave to Memphis. And in return, you'll get Andrew Wiggins, and you will get uh, a Minnesota Timberwolves pick, top three protected in 2021. I mean, I don't know. I I might take that if I I was the Warriors. I don't think it's so bad if you you take it as a whole. It's just I just think they could have done better. Yeah, and... You know that I think it's just we're. I think we're just getting used to the Warriors no longer being light years ahead. Yeah, but well, I. Yeah, I mean that is exactly what I said when they made the Russell signing in the first place. I was like, you know, Steve Kerr had talked about last season when they had all these injuries and they were fighting, and it was like the honeymoon was over. Steve Kerr was like, well, this is just us entering the real NBA. Like we've been living in a fantasy land the last few years, and. That's what I wrote is this this marks their re-entry into the real NBA. Like they're acting like other teams act. They're a little bit desperate. Like that was a little bit desperate. And, um, you know, I guess there was an outside shot that it would have worked out. I was pessimistic that it would. And, and now here we are. And then, it, you know, we have another situation where I have no idea how this is going to work out. 
that I have a certain level of trust in the infrastructure there, you know, whether it's Steph, Draymond, Steve Kerr, the way that those guys, you know, have kind of held each other accountable and the system they have. Um, it's probably going to be good for Wiggins to have a change of scenery. I'm just I, like after Durant left, it's like, this is kind of just a normal team now. Yeah. And, and that's where it's at. I, you know, when they got Russell, I questioned the fact that this was a team that has spent the last half decade understanding because the guys have been in house, what true max players, what true championship alphas look like, what true max money players look like. And then to give that kind of money to D'Angelo Russell, you know, regardless of whatever they thought of him as an asset and what they could do with it was, you know, in contrast to the type of players that actually were there. And now they've just turned that into Andrew Wiggins, which is another one of those guys who's a max money player by definition and not at all a max money player in terms of impact. And, and so, yeah, to your point, it really is like they're, they've just, you know, settled into normal life in the NBA when you don't have this once-in-a-lifetime collection of alphas. Yeah. Um, but I am I'm, I'm interested to, like, not really this season, obviously, because it's the skeleton warriors this season, but... When everyone's back and healthy, I'm interested to see what Wiggins looks like there and what they can make out of him. And I, I hope that it goes well. Like he has, uh, We always kind of speculate and wonder about whether his heart's in it or not, and nobody really seems to know. I just I believe that the ability is in there. I don't think the ability is in there to like live up to his contract necessarily or live up to being the number one overall pick, but the ability is certainly in there to be a positive contributor on a good team, I think. And I would love to see it happen finally. Um, and he's still pretty young. Like it's there's certainly time, and uh, I think there's probably a, you know a good situation for him to be in if we're ever going to see that happen. We've essentially covered all the all the moves people need to know about. You know, some teams that didn't make moves: Milwaukee, Toronto, some mm-hmm. others, some players that didn't move. The Thunder's four vets: Gallinari, Chris Paul, Stephen Adams, Dennis Schroeder, Drew Holiday. Derek Rose, we mentioned Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love, Nemanja Bilica, Kelly Oubre, Bogdan Bogdanovich, you mentioned Burton, Bertans, Kuzma. Like those are guys that if someone told you all of those guys were staying put, I mean I would have been. Did he mention Gallo? I did. because um, yeah, like there was a lot of Well, noise Miami almost got him, yeah. About um about him being part of a, a three team deal with the Heat and Well it seems so essentially what Woj reported hung up that deal is the Heat didn't want to do it unless they could extend Gallo, but they didn't want to extend Gallo past 2021. And so it didn't, I mean, I'm curious what they would have traded though. Like what would they have given the Thunder in order to get him? I like, yeah, maybe that will come out at some point, but I just, assuming that Winslow was going to the Grizzlies all along, like would they have moved off a hero? Like would it, would none have been enough? Like, I mean, listen, you know how I feel about the Paisan Gallo, but, mm-hmm. you know, I, no, I'm I, not sure. I, I wouldn't have made that move while also paying him, you know, into the summer when right. they're trying to hoard cap space. I just don't think that made sense. So what me. are they, what would they have been sending to the Thunder that no would clue. have made it worth OKC's while? I just no don't, clue. I don't see it. Um, other, but, other than Gallo, you know, out of the teams and players we mentioned that didn't make moves or didn't move today, does one stand out? Was it Gallo, I guess? Uh, no, I, like going into the deadline, I didn't actually expect him to get traded, to be honest, um, just because of the success the Thunder have had. I figured that they would be asking a lot for him. Um, 
And I, I think just because he's an expiring deal that probably the teams wouldn't be willing to pay that. And so it just didn't seem like the, the kind of framework was there for a deal to get done. I'm surprised, honestly, that it even got close. Uh, I think maybe like Bielitsa, I, I thought would move. Just like the Kings, they're not making the playoffs this year. Uh, you know, that's a pretty good chip. And it's not like he like is a part of like their timeline or like their their future. Like it's just an opportunity with a, a year left on his team-friendly deal after this one to actually recoup something meaningful for him. And maybe, again, those offers just weren't there. But I, I kind of expected him to be on the move. And... Um, I guess Derrick Rose, too, would be another one. Like, the Pistons are apparently, you know, willing to sell off anybody. They're willing to dump Andre Drummond for basically nothing. I thought they could have gotten a first for Rose. Uh, I, I, thought Philly, I thought he would, like, land somewhere like Philly that needed some ball handling, needed some extra creation. Yeah, I was skeptical about the Philly thing, though. We can talk about Philly, too. We haven't talked about them at all. I mean, they get Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson the third, which... For some second-rounders, it was fine. It's, they got some shooters and some ball, and some ball handling. I think this is about as good as they could have done. Right. Like, I, I, they were stuck is the thing, right? Like, if they were not going to trade one of Simmons or Embiid, which I 100% think that they shouldn't have been thinking about doing. Until the summer. Until the summer when we'll see what happens, like, the rest of this year. But, like, even then, I just, those guys are young, man. Like, there's this weird air of urgency about the Sixers where, and they've brought it on themselves with the moves that they've made, right? Like, that's their fault but it's so strange that they they put themselves in this win now box when they really didn't have to like their their foundational stars are like in their early 20s there should be time and patience and like room for them to grow together and figure this thing out but instead they keep overhauling the roster like every few months and it just is hard to get a feel for like whether that pairing can work in like, you know, one context versus another. I'm skeptical. We've talked about it a lot, but I don't necessarily think that it's time right now to break them up. I think if, if things don't drastically change for this team this season, that between Embiid, Simmons and Brett Brown, only one of those three will be in Philly when next season starts. That's okay. I mean, I think Brett Brown certainly is his seats getting really warm right now. Um, But I was just saying like, they're not going to trade one of those guys. Horford and Harris, they're not going to trade because on their contracts, those guys are like, do they have much more than neutral asset value on those deals? Like, I just don't think that they're like, unless for whatever reason, the Thunder decided they wanted Tobias Harris and would have given up Chris Paul. I don't think there was a deal to be made for one of those guys either. They're not going to trade Josh Richardson, who's a good player and basically like their only high volume pick and roll operator. Uh, They were not going to trade Thibel. So what moves were there to be made aside from just like picking up guys like, like Burks and Glenn Robinson, the third, who are solid three point shooters. Um, Robinson's more of a spot up guy, but Burks can handle the ball a bit and create some of his own offense. Those guys are passable defenders. And I think that's, I don't know how meaningful an upgrade it is, but like to get those guys without giving up, they didn't even give up like good second round picks, right? Like they gave up, low value second round. And none picks. of them were their own second rounders because yeah. they had this treasure chest of other teams. Yeah, it was from first. Dallas, Toronto and Don't remember the third. I can't remember the third, but like good teams right. that the, the picks aren't gonna be good probably. Right. So I think that's 
a nice piece of business for them and about as well as they could have done. And, you know, talking about Rose, I wouldn't have been crazy about them giving up a first rounder for Rose for, for exactly yeah. the reason I just mentioned, which is like they've already brought all this sort of undue win now pressure upon themselves. And to compound that by giving up another first rounder for a guy who like, yeah, he would have solved some of their problems. He gives them a ball handler, like he can run some pick and roll, but he doesn't do much for you as an off ball guy. I don't know how much he really improves your spacing. Like I, w- I wouldn't have done it if I were them, but I thought they would do something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that would have that would have smacked of a panic move, and I. As much as this season has gone off the rails for them, I just don't think that they should be panicking yet. I still think they have time. And, you know, despite the fact that they gave all this money to 34-year-old Al Horford, um, I, I still think there's there is time and ways for them to figure this thing out. And maybe it is ultimately just moving on from Simmons and trading him and, and getting pieces that fit better around Embiid. Uh, or vice versa. That's, I wouldn't go the way of trading Embiid. Uh, Simmons is the guy that I would move if they decide they have to trade one of those guys. But um, I just, I just don't think that they should be increasing the win now pressure that they've already put on themselves. My last Eastern Conference thought is that I thought, even though I still think Milwaukee has postseason questions to answer and and maybe some holes to fill, despite the fact they're on pace to win seventy freaking games. I thought in general the day was a win for them, a minor victory for them because none of the team, those second to sixth place teams got that much better. And I know Miami did get better, but I don't think anyone in that group jumped up into the Bucs stratosphere or anywhere close to it. So I think in that way, it's a minor victory for the Bucs. And in that sense, you could probably call it a minor victory for the Raptors as well because even though they didn't do anything, I still think they're the second best team in the East. And I... I Miami, I guess, did creep a little closer, but Boston didn't do anything. Philly... I don't think they did enough to address the underlying issues there that will have to be addressed in the summer. And I just don't think Indiana has the top-end talent, given the way Victor Oladipo looks right now, no fault of his own, to hang with uh, the Raptors and certainly not with the Bucks. So the top two teams, but Milwaukee especially in the East, I thought notched a minor victory today just by the fact that no one else did anything extraordinary. Yeah, and it's just another case where, like, I don't know, was there really a move out there for them to make? Uh, Maybe not. I... I think they're they pr- they're probably feeling pretty good about themselves with where they're at right now, and, if, and with good reason. If the Pistons were the only clear loser, were the Grizzlies maybe the only clear clear winner this week or today? I do you do you consider them a clear cut winner or not really? <sighs> I mean, I don't know about clear cut. I I really like them getting Winslow, but he's got to stay on the floor and. I, you know, I guess time will tell whether, like, I like it because he, he fits their timeline. I think he fits really well with the pieces they have in place. Like there's not a lot of overlap between him and like the guys that are already on that roster. I think, yeah, like Miami sort of unleashed him a little bit as a guy who could play with the ball in his hands last year as sort of a a point forward type. And maybe that's a role that's better suited to him because, as much as his three-point percentage has really come up, like he shot 38% last year, 37.5% the year before that, he's not doing that on a tremendously high volume, and it's not like he's a a jump shooter that teams are going to respect. So maybe he is better as an on-ball guy, but not to the extent that it's going to really like conflict with, with John Morant at all. He defends literally all five positions. Um, I think he would just like, he's going to give them all kinds of, lineup flexibility um and he's 23 so 
to get a guy like that for a guy in Iguodala who they they got paid in asset capital, right? A first round draft pick just to pay him for half a season, and then they move him and get a guy in Winslow who could be part of their core moving forward. That's a really nice piece of business. The the, the only reason I don't see them as like a clear cut winner is. Crowder and Solomon Hill were solid for them this they, season. They, yeah, so like they were important parts of that rotation, and I don't think that should be a huge deal because even if that hurts their playoff chances this year, which it may well do, I don't think that should really be the focus. It would be awesome to see them make the playoffs. It would be great for those guys to get some playoff reps you know, right off the bat, but I don't think it's like essential that that happens. Like they, they should be taking the long view. It's more so that um, they, like they took on all that money for next season, and they were going to have all this cap space that they no longer have. And yeah, you can say... It's Memphis, like, who's going to go and sign in Memphis? But uh, you never know. Like, given... And it's also not necessarily always about just signing a guy outright. It's the flexibility that cap space allows you. How about, like, the Iguodala example? You know, like, they had that cap space, which is why they were able to absorb that contract and got got that pick and got Justice Winslow as a result. So, um you know, the punting on that cap space is the only reason I would take them out of, like, the clear-cut winners category, but... I still think if I was picking one team that I could say, like, yeah, they actually won, then it would probably be Memphis. Maybe Atlanta, actually. I thought Atlanta made out pretty well. Yeah, I do, too. Uh, In terms of the Grizzlies, I think they took a half step back this season in the short term. I think they somewhat considerably raised their upside long term. And I also like the Dylan Brooks extension. In terms of the money they took on this week, between the Brooks extension, taking on Winslow, that takes them out of you know, having a ton of cap space this summer, as you just mentioned. And so I guess my last note is that one of the losers from today, you could, or from this week, you could argue are 2020 free agents, or at least anyone close to a max level free agent in 2020, because the Grizzlies are now seemingly out of that mix. If Drummond picks up his option, the Cavs are also mm-hmm. out of that mix. And really, when I was going through it, that but, was just but, the Hawks, Knicks, and Pistons. Uh, well, the Pistons got into that mix. Right. Um, the Hornets are also another team okay. who will have cap space. So, so I Atlanta, think, Charlotte, I think Detroit, and then the Knicks. I Again, I think and 2020 now, free agents are losers. Miami. Miami is now going to have... Right. They, they, I don't think they'll have max space, but they're going to have, what, 26, yes, 27 but I also million? don't think Miami's touching any of that unless it's a one-year deal. Right. Right? So, yeah, I almost don't... Usually, yeah, Miami having space in a year is like, oh, great for free agents. But in a season where Miami's probably signing nothing but one-year deals to preserve 2021 space, yeah. I don't know if we can really count them in there. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see um, how many of those guys with player options actually uh, opt out. Um, just just given what the free agent landscape is looking like, it might really behoove them to, um, to opt in and just kind of roll it over to 2021 when there's going to be way more space. With the deadline out of the way, we will have way more space to talk about other topics next week, like the New York Knicks finding a new president and what that all means. We don't have time to get into that today because, as any of our loyal listeners know, when we start talking about the New York Knicks and and James Dolan's clown show, we need an hour of that on its own, and we are already an hour into this podcast. So I think we can sign off on another eh, successful deadline day in the NBA. Who knows? For Joe Wolfon, I'm Joseph Cacharo. Pound the Rock.